and welcome to Reliving My My name is Noel Fogelman. My guest this week is Matthew Lawrence. Now, I can't believe we're celebrating the 40th anniversary of Eddie the Cruisers, one of the greatest music movies of all time. Matthew played bassist Salamato in the movie. We go into depth about the movie, how he got the role, just the legacy of the movie. We also talk about the sequel that came out a few years later. He was the only member of the Cruisers, besides obviously Michael Pare, who was in the movie. He talks about what convinced him to be in the sequel. He also was in Probably Hills in 0210, playing David Austin Green's father, Mel Silver, the oral surgeon. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about his Fox show duet. Dead Man Don't Wear Plaid, the Mart movie. That he was in it, but you never saw him. And Matthew will explain it. He was a featured member of Santa Live following the departure of the original cast. Talks about that. We talk a ton of sports because right now he's a sports talk show host in Kentucky for ESPN Radio. We discuss that. He was a member of the Duke basketball broadcasting uh, radio team as well for, for a decade with Coach K. He's had a fascinating career, shares some great stories, really nice guy, and I hope you enjoy my conversation with Matthew. So, Matthew, thank you uh, so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Yeah. You know, I, I will say this because I've been very lucky, Noel, to um, every once in a while I get asked to do these. And I'm always really happy to because getting to talk about my life, which I don't do enough, right. um, is it just brings up these memories and allows me to think back on how blessed I've been in my life because I've I've had an incredible life. I, I know that. Right. And, you know, people just don't get to do the things I've done. So uh, it's my pleasure to be on with you. And like some, you know, some of the work you've done, like, because basically the show is like things that like influence me, like, you know, movies, TV, music, whatever, mm-hmm. sports. And yep. I can't believe it's the 40th year for the anniversary of Eddie the Cruisers, which we'll talk about a little while, which is, is crazy in that movie. Yeah. Made such yeah. an impact on me and you know, countless other people. But what you're doing now, it's it's you know it's very far you know from what you were doing back then. You know, being a sports talk uh, host, you know, for ESPN in uh, Kentucky, which I used to work for ESPN. So I guess we can say you can see we're fellow cast members. You know, oh, so cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But um, which is it's crazy now. The NCAA tournament's going on now. We're going to start the Sweet 16 uh, tomorrow night. And have you seen like? as wild a tournament as this has been in your memory? You know, we, it's funny because we were talking, I was talking about this the other day with a friend of mine, every year in the NCAA tournament, things happen and we go, man, this is unbelievable. I mean, look at well, who beat what UMBC beat Virginia. What? I mean, but for some reason, it seems like this year, and again, maybe it's recency bias. Maybe it's because it's just happening. But it seems like there are more of these things happening now. And I it makes sense because what's going on in college basketball and football to an extent, but basketball especially, is with NIL and the transfer portal, yeah. the parity, and it's a that word is used a lot, but I don't think it's ever been more apparent then now, you know, uh, when a Princeton beat somebody in 1980, or uh, it was an absolute fluke. Right. It's not anymore. I mean, these guys, these teams, FDU, Florida Atlantic, Princeton, yeah. uh, these they can all play. And right. all it takes is five guys. That's all it takes. Yeah. And, and it, for us watching it makes it even more incredible. And I think this year to answer your question, I think there's more of this happening. It seems like than ever before this tournament is nuts. Yeah, it's, it, it truly is. Now, now gee, I'm, I'm in the camp where I think you should expand the, the pool to, you know, have more teams in it because there are a lot of teams 
who haven't made the tournament can probably still make a run in this tournament. You know, it, why not open it up to more of the mid-major schools that always, see, even though they have great runs in these tournaments, always seems to still get the short end of the stick. Well, I think I agree with you partly there, but only partly. Um, I don't, I'm one of those people that don't believe it needs to be expanded because let's say you expand it to whatever to 94 teams or whatever the number is they're throwing out there. There are still going to be teams after that that say, well, I got left out again. And I think, I don't know how we got here, but I think this number is pretty good uh, between teams and now more than ever because of the parity between teams that can make a deep run here and just letting, you know, teams in that aren't going to be those teams. I feel like if they opened it up more, those would be the teams from a long time ago. And the other thing is about mid-majors, they're not really mid-majors anymore. Do you know what I mean? They're, these teams are, I don't know what that distinction is, but right. you got teams that, that are, quote, mid-major that can play with anybody. Yeah. So I kind of, I'm an old school guy. I kind of like, you know, I was around, I told you how old I was before right. we started talking. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I remember when, it's my argument about UCLA. And John Wooden, when people mm-hmm. talk, no, obviously, mm-hmm. he's one of the two or three greatest coaches ever. He's not the best to me. Mm-hmm. And I might be biased, but when he was, when they were competing for championships, they had, they never left the West region. That There was a true West region. Right. They had to win four games to win the national championship. And in those days, the great basketball was being played in the East. Yeah. So they never had to play one of those teams until the final four. So, you know, I have a lot, I fight with myself constantly about being this old school, get off my lawn guy right. and the new stuff. But I kind of, I kind of like it the way it is now okay. for what that's worth. Right. Now being in Kentucky, you know, obviously UK basketball is like, you know, a religion down there. Is, yes, it um, is. Yeah, I'm gonna ask you about two coaches in particular, John Calipari. Is he on the hot seat? Well, you know, it's funny because uh, it's not just what's happened this year. This has been really. We, Kentucky has won one tournament game in the last four years, right? And unacceptable is not a strong enough word for <laughs> what's going on here. Right now, having said that. You know, his first, I guess, six years was an unbelievable run here to start off with. But since then, really, since the 38-0 team in 2015 and the loss to Wisconsin in the Final Four, since then, there have been a lot of people, even as he had teams that have made runs, and people are, it's national championships here, period, or at least the Final Four. Um, so I, I don't know if he's on a hot seat or not. He has supposedly, they call it a lifetime contract here. It's not really, but, um, he's, he's not on the hot seat yet, but there are a lot of fans here who are very, very disappointed in what's been going on here. I can't say that. Right. It's basically like, I'll kind of equate it to being a Yankee fan. Like you make the playoffs yep. every year, that's nothing. World right. Series, you got to win a World well, Series. World Series. You're looking, you're, you're looking at a Yankee fan from the fifties. Okay. So I know exactly. Believe yeah. me, I know exactly. And no, just making it to the wild card game is no, not it's enough. Not good enough. No. Sorry. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and we'll get into that in a little bit. Okay. But another, you know, now a former coach. Now I'm a big St. John's basketball fan, and then they haven't uh-huh. done anything in decades. And now I think Mike Jarvis years ago kind of ruined the mm-hmm. program. They haven't really gotten back to respectability. Now they bring in Rick Pitino, great coach, checkered, you know, pass. But that's a good I, way to put it. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it was a necessary evil. They had a they had to hire him. You know, what are your thoughts on just having him, kind of be back in the national spotlight once again? Well, it's a great question um, because, 
And this is another one. And I, I almost have to recuse myself here because as I grew up in New York and believe me, nobody knows St. John's basketball better than I do because right. I grew up there and all the great teams they had there. Yeah. Uh, but the athletic director, or as he's called the director of athletics at St. John's yeah. is one of my closest friends. Okay. Mike Craig is his name. And so um, I'm, I'm very happy for in the basketball part of this, because with the transfer portal, that yeah. team will be back. It, right. They'll make the NCAA tournament next year. Agreed. I'm telling you. Yeah. Uh, and after that, we'll see what, what, how Patino gets the kind of guys he brings in yeah. that'll fit his system of play. But like everybody else, it depends on what you want out of sports as a fan. If you're uh, the questions about his morality or however you want to put it, those have followed him for a long time. Right. It wasn't just at Louisville. No, it was there are, Hawaii. You know, yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Um, so it depends on what you want. Do you want a nationally relevant team in New York City yeah. that will compete the way his teams will now? Then you go, okay, whatever that takes, right. that's what we got. Or yeah. Are you the kind of person that goes, I don't care about sports. What he did was unacceptable. And, you know, and we look, this isn't the only thing we have this going on now with Alabama basketball. We have it right, going on true. any place where things have happened that as human beings, we go, I'm not OK with that. Right. That's the debate. And, you know, for for most of us, we have those debates about a lot of things now. Yeah. It's so. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, it's you basically take a year off or like you get knocked down a peg and then they think everything is OK. Right. It's late, but people remember everything. But right. I yeah. know I do. Yeah, <laughs> me too. And then, you know, what? we'll cap it off. Mention the Yankees. Now season's going to start soon. Uh, injuries. You know, but Aaron Judge is back. And I just want to talk about a little bit the rule changes and, you know, yeah. old school. Like I'm. I'm not saying like like you know, I'm not get off my you know lawn type of guy. But You're not old of, enough. I'm yet. not old enough. I, yeah. Right. But, okay. But but there but there are a lot of things that kind of like bug me and and I had an argument with one of my friends today about they banned the defensive shift mm -hmm. and I I'm one who's like why why ban it? Teach these players how to hit against the shift. Lay down a bunt. Do you have a long enough spring training where you can't spend three days teaching how to lay down a bunt? You know it's mm -hmm. like. Play, play, you, have, you have nine players. If you want to put them all in right field, so be it. That, that That's just my opinion. I don't know how you feel about that. Well, okay. Here, I'm going to have to disagree with you again. Here. Okay. But because I'm the, I am the old guy, and I love baseball that way. I will say this about the shift, and it's a huge deal, that shift. P uh, people aren't talking about it enough now, but they will be when the season starts. Right. Here's the one thing I would say. And when they started doing that, like everybody else, I thought these guys are the best hitters in the world. Like just flap the ball to the left side yeah. if they're all over there. Right. Here's the here's the deal, though. And I had a, somebody who has been involved with Major League Baseball for years say this to me. And I went, you know what? Yeah, that's probably right. He said. Everybody thinks it's so easy to hit the ball to the left side. He said, let me tell you something. I don't care how good a hitter you are. When If you're going to do that, pitchers today are going to throw 98 in the, on the hand. Right. And if you think you can just automatically slap it over there, yeah. said, you're crazy. So – I, th I like it because it brings more action. We okay. saw it in the World Baseball Classic last night when the two teams were playing. I don't think they used the, the no-shift rule, but there were base hits up the middle. We right. never see that anymore. No, you don't. I mean, and as an old-school guy, that's, that's how we all learn to play baseball. Yeah. Um, as far as the other rules, I am all in. On the pitch clock, me too. 
I had a, a, a one of my best friends is Dave Sims, who you know okay. in that area. Yep, does absolutely. We call him basketball. He's the voice of the Seattle Mariners. Yeah. And I had a conversation with him the other night. We talk all the time. And he, I said, so I'm guessing you love this pitch clock. He said, are you kidding me? All of us. He said, I don't have to sit at the ballpark for three and a half hours yep. waiting for a game to end because guys are adjusting their batting gloves. Exactly. You know, I, that is, it's great. A two-and-a-half-hour game is good for everybody. Agreed. And uh, here's the one thing I will say, though. And tell me if – because I have a propensity for going on too long. Tell me if – just say, okay, cool. All right. Um, The one thing that I can't stand is the ghost runner. Agreed, 100%. Okay. Now, I have a friend here who is with SB Nation, a great website. Yep. And he covers the Cincinnati Reds, who we have on our okay. ESPN station. We carry Reds game. So I was talking to him about the ghost runner. And I said, I hate it. He said, I'll tell you what I would do. He said, I get that they don't want 17 inning games anymore. He said, what I would do is I would have it be just baseball for the 10th, the 11th, and maybe the 12th inning, no ghost runner, just the way it's been. Right. If a game goes into, say, the 13th inning, I would put a ghost runner on so that at least it's not going 17 innings. Right. I like that idea. Or maybe just two, 10th and 11th inning, yeah. see if a team can win. That idea I like. But I like the rest of the rules. I'm good. Yeah. I mean, I, I would make a compromise with a ghost runner, like, 12, maybe 13 is inning on that. I'm totally right. fine with that. But then let's like, yeah. it's changing the game way too much. It's, it's right. like also hockey. Now you have the overtime, the three on three. It's, and then the shoot, yeah. you play a great game for 60 minutes, nine innings, and you determine it kind of like a gimmicky type of thing. Right. You know, you don't do that right. in football. You don't change right. it in basketball. It's just those two sports where, you know, sudden death and overtime, extra innings, they kind of make, uh, yeah, the changing the rules, which, yeah. You know, yeah it's what it is it, it is you know <laughs> you just either have to you know adapt or just stop watching right right <laughs> yeah right. right all right so let's talk about yourself now something i know you, you oh, okay you <laughs> want, to, want to talk about a lot um eddie and the cruisers celebrating the 40th anniversary one of my favorite movies um i'm sure you heard this nine million times but i've discovered it on hbo like, like mm. most people because they ran that movie into the ground um, and the soundtrack, you know, John Caffrey, Bieber Brown Band. I remember getting the cassette of it at uh, Sears. You you oh might even remember uh, Roosevelt Field Mall. Oh, hell yeah. Yep. Hell yeah. I got it at Sears and then um, loved, loved the music. Now, what was your experience making the movie? How much knowledge of playing the bass did you, you know, have? Just talk about that just in general. Well, uh, this is what I mean about my life and when I think about this stuff um Eddie and the Cruisers for me was and I've done a lot of great things in my career and I get asked a lot what was the favorite thing you ever did and by far right it's Eddie and the Cruisers um and when I got that part in that movie and the audition process was pretty incredible. Okay. Uh, I actually, is a funny story. Um, I'm the best air guitar player in the world. Right. And uh, Marty Davidson, the director and his sister, um, who co-wrote and produced the yeah. movie. When I went in to speak to them the first time, he asked me if I played the guitar. And I said, I didn't, but I, I'm... I could make you believe that I'm playing with no guitar in my right. hands. And we kidded around and I, I asked him to put on black magic woman by Santana, which I can play every note. Right. I mean, I'm not, it's not bragging. I'm the best air guitarist okay. in the world. Anyway. <laughs> uh, when I got the part in that movie, we didn't have phones, cell phones. Right. We didn't have the internet. 
I mean, this was 1981, I think, maybe 82, but I think it was 81. And after I got the part, I remember being in New York City and walking around the city with my Walkman and these headphones, listening to Springsteen, because that was the closest music to right. what they told us we were going to be playing. Okay. And kind of playing air bass to all those songs. And um, and when we started shooting the movie, we weren't a band. I mean, Michael had no musical background right. at all, including lip syncing. Um, Behringer didn't. So we shot that movie. We did all the acting stuff first while John and, and Beaver Brown were working on the music. Okay. And we would shoot acting scenes during the day, and then we would go and we were staying in this really crappy motel in <laughs> Jersey. And they had set up this little banquet room, and I mean little. And we would go in there and practice as a band with Southside Johnny, who was right. our uh, guy, uh, who taught me how to play the bass. And um, we worked really hard on that. And somehow... It all came together when we started shooting the music scenes. Um, Michael's lip syncing, I didn't think he could do it. The day before, I said, we have no movie because right. he's he's not. Yeah. And if you look at his lip syncing, it's amazing. It's great. And yeah. um, the whole experience was incredible. I mean, we thought we were a rock band, a rock and roll band. It was insane. Doing shooting the college scenes with all the extras there, um, we would go into our trailer and all these extras would be banging on our doors and we were doing it to playback. It wasn't like we were doing right. a concert there. Yeah. They knew that, but and we thought we were a band. It was wild. Right. I mean, I'm that's all I'm gonna say. That whole time was wild but to think that it was 40 years ago and again i'll tell you when you say it was on hbo it was in the theater for 10 days and then it was yeah. gone and we all thought okay well that's not gonna that's it, yeah. then it was the first thing that really showed the power of cable right specifically hbo because i think i heard one time Within a month after it started showing, the album went triple platinum. And all of a sudden, it and 40 years later, to this day, uh, I know you heard about the floods in eastern Kentucky right. that we went through a couple months ago that were yeah. so tragic. I decided I needed to do something for that. And I went to this iconic theater in Lexington, the Kentucky Theater. It's been here 75 years, right. I think. And I spoke to this wonderful guy who runs the theater. And I said, I'd like to do a one-time screening of Eddie and the Cruisers and give the money to the relief for the floods in Eastern Kentucky. And he said, okay. And we set it up and people donated online and all these people showed up because I know it's like the biggest cult movie in the world. Right. And I got to talk to these people before the screening to hear the stories of why that movie, I'm a sap, I get choked up easy. Um, to hear the stories of why that movie meant so much or the music meant so much 40 years later is still absolutely astounding to me. And you talk about the blessings. Uh, I mean, that that movie is a always has been a true blessing for me. Right. I used to watch that movie with my mom all the time on HBO, just like, you know, connected yeah. over, over the movie, you know, cause you know, the music, you know, just great. And I, I had Michael on a couple of years ago and uh -huh. you know, he was, I was like for the first 10 years after watching the movie, I literally thought you were singing that even though I, yeah. I had the, you know, the, the soundtrack, right. it's like, he just had that look and just sounded just yeah. like, and he, no, he really nailed it. And it was, it was, he was pretty perfect. I'll tell you, this is what I'm talking about. 
uh, a very good friend of mine who, from the minute I met her, told me Eddie and the Cruise is my favorite movie. And we never really talked about it, but mm. she came to that screening and said, I'm going to tell you why it's my favorite movie. She said, my dad, when he was 41, was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And it was his, he played the music all the time from right. the movie. And as he, he got worse with his tumor, she said, I had a red convertible. And he came to me one day and said, could we just drive around? And they got in the car and he put the cassette in. She said, and every day when it was nice, we would just listen to the soundtrack driving around with the top down. Right. And it made him so happy. Sorry. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> um, that's that's what I'm talking about. Right. And when you do, you know, not that many pe people, if they're lucky enough to work in that in the business, that's a great thing. If you're lucky enough to do something that affects people in a really great way, that's a whole different way to, right. to go about it. It's amazing. Just amazing. Yeah. Do you know if yeah. they're doing anything else to celebrate the anniversary this year? I don't think so. I haven't heard anything. Um, yeah. That's that's too bad. You know, with all the comic cons around the country now, you'd think that someone would you I know, know. invite you guys I to did, have one. I did one with Michael, oh boy, it's probably four or five years ago now. And it was great. I mean, we yeah. aside from this, uh, meeting all the people when you're signing pictures and all that, we did a, a whole discussion, right. you know, with all these people there and it was it was fascinating. Yeah. You know, that's what it was. It right. was pretty amazing. Yeah. Yep. Was there talk that Rick Springfield was supposed to like star in it? Oh, I don't. You know, there there was a whole thing at the beginning with Joel Brooks, who was a really big. He wrote "You Light Up My right. Life." And, yeah. Well, and he was producing it and all this stuff, and it was they wanted Rick Springfield. Blah blah blah. Uh, I I never found out the whole story. Mm -hmm. Michael was doing it. When yeah. I got the part, right. uh, he they actually brought him in. We tested together. Okay. Um, and, and so I don't know about Rick Springfield. Hell right. with Rick yeah. Springfield. Yeah. It, it worked out that they got like an unknown to to play. Correct. Because you would hear just you know Correct. Rick Springfield and the Cruisers. You know, not like Eddie. Right. Yeah. In, in the right. Yeah. And a few years later, they made a sequel, and you can say what you want about it. The music in the sequel is great too. I, you know, it is John Caffrey. It's 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 really good, but yeah. um, they only had you return, you know, yes. which, which was great that you you know you you were in it. How much convincing did they need you to? You well, know, this is push your arms and come back for. This is a very funny story, actually. It's funny to me, right? Uh, when they were doing part two. I was doing, I was the coast, the star of a show on Fox right, duet. for three years called Duet. And my agent called me one day and he said, uh, I'm going to send over a script. They're doing Eddie and the Cruisers part two. It's different people. It's the Scotty brothers who were big record producers. Right. And you're the only one from the first movie that they want to be in the second movie. So I'm going to send you the script and they did. And I read it and I didn't like it at all. Right. And I told my agent that, and he said, well, I said, plus I'm doing the show now. They want me these two weeks. And uh, he said, I'll work that out, but I'm going to make a phone call to the Scotty brothers. Right. And we're going to ask for a ridiculous amount of money. This is one of those jobs where if they say no, okay. If right. they say yes, you're going to go to Montreal and shoot <laughs> right. and you're going to make a ridiculous amount of money. Yeah. I said, okay, cool. And they called the next day and said, you're going to Montreal. I went, what? Wow. <laughs> and she said, they didn't bat an eye. Wow. They were like, so it ended up being great because I got to go to Montreal, which is a fantastic city. My stuff with Michael, I just watched it the other night. Um, I couldn't fall asleep and I have it saved on my DVR right. and I, I looked at our stuff. My stuff with Michael is great. Oh, it's great. It really is. And yeah. I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about 
how they did it, the way they did it. Right. And it really hit me again. Yeah. There I am with tears in my eyes. I'm such an idiot on my couch <laughs> watching this. But I didn't like it because it was there's Michael. He's rediscovered as the biggest star. And he's got this little mustache and nobody yeah. knows it's him. Right. It's like, I always say it's like Clark Clark Kent glasses. putting yeah. gla glasses on and nobody knows he's right. Superman. Yeah. So uh, that whole thing, it just lost me. But there were parts of the movie that I really thought were great. Yeah. Um, and my stuff with Michael was, I thought was really, really well done and well written. Um, but, you know, that's my part too. Story. Right. Yeah. It's almost like because at the end of the first one where you see him like watching, you know, the documentary outside the you know television store, we right. had this scruffy beard, long hair. They should just yeah. continue that in the second one. Maybe have longer hairs rather than like the little yeah. like, French mustache. But no, there was a lot they could have done with it. Yeah. But right. you know, yeah. My, yeah. Michael was telling me that he had like constant battles with the director on the movie. Yeah. He basically he said that he had no idea what rock and roll really was and Right. He was, as I remember, he was a French Canadian right. uh, guy, really nice guy. But yeah. and he had it's like he watched maybe he watched the first one once or something. You know, it was like he he didn't have any concept of yeah. really what it was about. So, right. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. When I when I told my wife I was interviewing you, she's also a big 90210 fan. But she's like, I also remember him in duet. So, oh great which you know you know started on, on fox and like that was yeah. one of the first what three or four shows that that fox it was we were had. on yes we were the yeah. first lineup um oh god there was a show called mr president with george c scott right that like, lasted three episodes, episodes. It was like beans baxter uh, beans baxter very good um but there was also married with children right Tracy Ullman. Yeah. Um, there was some great and duet yeah. was a great show. It was right. wonderfully written. Yeah. And Mary Page Keller is the best. Right. And the whole the whole cast was great. Yeah. Um, and those are friendships that last a lifetime. So that's cool. I'm glad your wife remembered that. That's yeah. cool. <laughs> right. Now, how like when people like ask you what show you were on, you said that, and they're like, what network is that? Did you really have to sell people on the Fox network because it was so there was, new? It was the it was the first year of the Fox right. network. Yeah. And so we would go, they would send us around to do publicity. Um, like we were shooting duet mm -hmm. and we would do three weeks in a row, three shows, and then take a week off and do five cities of publicity. Not the whole country didn't even get Fox. Then. Right. Remember that, yeah. So there wasn't even a Fox network in a lot of places. Yeah. And uh, that was pretty cool, though, because we were not only introducing our show. I mean, I remember 21 Jump Street was right. also. And Johnny Depp was, you know, 18 or right. something. Um, and I remember doing publicity in New York with them. They put us in a limo and they drive us to this radio station and that. We'd do Good Morning New York, and right. you know it was wild. I mean, it it was wild, but it was uh, obviously you know the Fox Network has come a long way. Yeah, the, the entertainment part of it, right? That's exactly. All I'll say. Yeah, that's exactly. all. I'll say. Right. Um, but yeah, it was the first three years of the Fox Network. Yeah, yeah. I, th I think the Fox Network really like kind of stood out once they got the football contract for the NFC. Yeah, like like yeah, three ninety four. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Now you did three years, but then they continued for a fourth and kind of like reorganized the show. Yeah, they changed it to a show yeah. called Open House. Right. Um, and they kept a couple of the people, Mary yeah. and Allison, and a couple of the people, and a new, a new regular on the show, right. Open House. Somebody named Ellen De DeGeneres. I don't know whatever. I don't happened know. To her. Never heard of her. Yeah. Um, yeah, but they did, I think, one more season and called it Open House. Right. Yeah. Was it because, like, you kind of your story with with? Mary I think I hope so. Meet? I yeah. never, I never asked. Right. Uh, I was. We did fifty-seven episodes, I think, yeah. that I did, and you know that was great. I mean, I had worked obviously before that, but that 
that was the first job where I made really good money and was the star of a show and had right. input and as we all did the cast, the yeah. whole cast. But um, that was a, a really big deal for me. It allowed me to do things after that. Yeah. Um, and that's how that, you know, career works. So it was great for me. Right. And even going back, you know, a few years prior, like being on Saturday Night Live, like probably the first season when after the original cast left, that, that yes, had to it be was. a lot of pressure on, on you. It was brutal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, it was as a as an actor, it was incredible for yeah. me. Um, but everybody hated us. I mean, right. we replaced the original right. cast. Legends, yeah. And we could it could have been Charlie Chaplin and six people, and they right. would have hated that. I mean, yeah. So there was a lot of stress that year, but for me. I mean, it was, I got to do improv stuff with Del Close, who was one of the founders of Second City. Okay. Um, and then, you know, Saturday night, whatever you sketches you were in were live in front of millions yeah. of people. And, you know, that is something that you <laughs> you don't get a chance to do yeah. very often. So it was great for me. Right. When did you know that your sketch was going to make the show? Uh, it depends, okay. you know, on the week and what right. a lot of there were times where in dress rehearsal, they would cut something right. if it didn't work. And they I remember them walking up one time and they wanted me to uh, do an impression of Johnny Carson. And they literally mm -hmm. gave me this sheet, two sheets of paper five minutes before we went on the air. Okay. I mean, that was one of the great things about it was because if you could handle stuff like that yeah there is not you know what is it when you're shooting a movie and you have two days to do three pages of dialogue you know you're like yeah. okay right i can do this yeah so right. it's great that way yeah i never realized that gilbert goffrey was part of that cast even yes. like laurie metcalf from roseanne i, yeah. I had no idea she, she was on laurie well, laurie wasn't on when i was on okay she came i think she came after, right after. that season okay. yeah uh but we didn't do also it was we didn't do a as i remember we didn't do a full season almost a full season but i think yeah. they started bringing people in you know towards the end kind of right. but gilbert is, i mean i always loved gilbert and he was yeah. i thought he was the funniest guy <laughs> right i still do um yeah. And they didn't, I didn't think they ever used him that year the way he should have been used. Yeah. But every day when I would go into work, he would, I would just sit and laugh at him. Uh, yeah. I loved that guy. Right. I always have, I've always yeah. loved him. Right. Yeah. Cause everyone like has their, you know, their cast that they liked. Right. You know, of like, course. Being growing up, you know, that's where I really like start like the Chris Rock, Adam Sandler. Right. Cause that was yeah. my age. But I would always go back. I think Comedy Central or E always had the reruns. So yeah. we see like the ones from the seventies and like your error and stuff like that. Yeah. So it was yeah, cool. really, really great. But I was always a big fan. Maybe you were too. Like Battle of Network Stars, like those shows. Always, I would take yeah. out of them. You know, ESPN Classic used to show them a lot. But yeah. they also had the Circus of the Stars. Yeah, and I, you, you were great. You know, the High Wire. I watched, and you even did the bike on on the High Wire. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and then. Also, O.J. Simpson was on your show as well. Oh, well, I didn't know that at the time. Is right. that true? Yeah, he did a magic act on your show. <laughs> well, of course, when we did it, he was just a football player right. or whatever. I mean, yeah. Um, but I, I don't think I've ever really heard that. But right. oh well. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that that show was that's one of the greatest things I've ever done. Right. Ever. Um, and I used to get asked all the time would I do battle of the network stars? Okay. And I always said no, okay. because I, I was an actor and I'm that's, you know, I'm yeah. not doing that stuff and right. blah, blah, blah. And when they called my agent about, I had to go in and audition okay. for it. And I went, I'm not doing circus of the stars. <laughs> that's like David Hasselhoff making an elephant stand up. What? I mean, right. She said to me, they want you to walk the high wire. And 
I said, let me call you back. And I, I thought about it and I thought, when in my life am I ever going to get to do something like this? The answer is never, ever. And I, I went out to this place out in the valley where they were having these. Uh, they had to make sure that you could, if you trained enough, they thought you could do it. And I was a good athlete and I, they had me, they had an eight, a wire that was 18 inches off the ground and they had me try to walk across it. And I got three feet out and I fell right. and right on my shoulder. I mean, I, I thought I broke my shoulder actually. And I was mad and I got up and I got right back up on the wire. And the producers told me later that the reason they took me for the show was because I did that, that after I fell, yeah. I got right back and went back up on that wire. And it, it turned out to be, we rehearsed for God, five weeks, maybe. Oh, wow. okay. And, uh, cause it was serious, this is serious yeah. stuff up right. there with our trainer who was walked with the flying Willendis, the most famous yeah. high wire rack in history. And, I got to do that and then to do it in front of an audience. Um, and the killer part of this is years later, I got a call. Would I do one episode of this new show called Beverly Hills 90210? I said, no, I won't. Nobody's watching it. Yes. It's a stupid show. Well, my agent said they want you to play somebody's dad. And you haven't done that yet. It would be good to do one episode. And I went, okay. And I went to meet with the producers and they said, we would love you to, to do this episode. I said, who's, I didn't even know who was on the show. Right. I said, whose dad would I be playing? And they said, his name is Brian Austin Green. When I did Circus of the Stars. He was on that, yeah. Brian, who was on Knott's Landing at the time, I think he was 13. Right. Was I used to kid around with him every day. I loved him. And as soon as they said you would be playing his dad, I said, I'm in. And that turned into nine years, right. that one episode. Um, and just being with Brian and playing his father. I mean, it was great. So that Circus of the Stars was a big deal for me. Right. Yeah. Have you, have you seen it recently? Your, your clip? I haven't, but we speak, okay. which is great i spoke yeah. to him not that long ago we text every once in a while right i just love him to death that's great and yep. then you were an oral surgeon on the show um thank you for saying that because right. people still say dentist uh, oh you were the dentist and i right. always get mad you know yeah. fake <laughs> yeah. go, right yeah. so, so how, yeah. how do you fake being an oral surgeon well okay here's here's the deal so the I get a script one day and it says Mel is in his office performing a root canal. And I went into the writer's office and I said, have you ever had a root canal? No. I said, you can't fake doing a root canal. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, what do you think we should do? Well, you know how like dentists and oral surgeons have these little mirror things they stick in your mouth? Yeah. Give me one of those. Let me have just finished a root canal. And oh, okay. And that's how that scene happened. Right. We only had, I was not in my office that often. Right. And we never after that had me like being yeah. an oral surgeon. Right. So, you know, we just talked about it. Right. Yeah. And I remember when you got married to um, Jenny Gart's mom, you know, Jack Gillespie. On the show, Anne Gillespie, yeah. the great Gillespie. Uh, you had the, awesome white tux on the show and i just remember that because and all the groomsmen had the white tux so that was like <laughs> yeah great style that's there. a picture that i get set you know the funny thing is because i did again i was blessed enough to do so much work that are now in reruns yeah and all night long on different channels and yep. I get pictures sent to me from my friends all the time. Right. I was up at two this morning and this is what yeah. I saw. And that picture of me and Jackie at our wedding in right. my white tux, I get that one all the time. Right. All the time. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, the show is have in heavy rotation in my house because my wife always has a bunch in the DVR. Well, always between that oh, and House in the Prairie, it's cool. all all of them. That's so, I'll, I'll, what's your wife's name? Jody. Hi, tell Jody I said hi from I Mill. I will. Okay, from Mill. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. All right. Yeah. Now, like I would say, maybe eight nine years before that, you started in a actually you, you you were in it, but no one saw you, and it's a great movie. Uh, Steve oh. Martin's Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. And it is so original and it's great. Everyone check it out. Um, what was your experience like making that movie and also knowing that you're not going to be seen on camera or okay. <laughs> this is uh it's funny because yesterday or the day before was Carl would have been Carl Reiner's That's 101st right. Right. birthday. And uh, I grew up in the house where my parents, my mom, Listen to Frank Sinatra, Ella Fitzgerald, um, Tony Bennett, all that, that, and the 2000 year old man, Carl Reiner and Mel Brooks, which to this day is still the greatest comedy album ever done. And I was doing a play off, off Broadway in New York with uh, an actor named Gene Davis. And his wife was a casting director in LA, a very big one. And Gene was over at my apartment one night and he was talking to his wife, Penny. And Penny said to him, let me talk to Matthew for a second. And she said to me, I can't fly you out here, but if you can get come out here, I'm doing a movie with Carl Reiner. I can't tell you what it's about, but I think you might be able to work on this movie. And I said, Carl Reiner? She said, yeah, he doesn't think you're going to want to do it, but I think you should come out and talk to him. Well, he was, I knew every line literally from that album. I got on a plane. I went out there. God, I remember this like it was yesterday now. Right. And I walked into the office and I talked to Penny and she said, okay, go on in. And I walked in and Carl Reiner was sitting behind the desk and I almost couldn't talk. And he was the most generous, wonderful, kind, hum funniest human being. And he said to me, I, I very much appreciate you coming out to talk to me. I said, you're Carl Reiner. He said, that's not that big a deal. He said to me, I said, oh, yeah, it is. <laughs> he said, I, you're not going to want to do this, but I'll ask you anyway. And then he proceeded to tell me about this movie called Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid with Steve Martin, and they were going to be using uh, clips from movies from the 40s. And, and they, it's hard to explain, but they were going to intercut, they were going to shoot it the same way those movies were shot in black and white, and they were going to intercut Steve Martin with Jimmy Cagney, Fred McMurray, all the old yeah. movie stars, Alan Ladd. He said, and you would play all of those old movie stars, but we'll never see your face. We'll only shoot your back, the back of your head, your hands. And I went, wait a minute. So it's going to be, I'm going to be working with you and Steve Martin? He said, yeah, every day. It'd pretty much just be you and me and Steve. <laughs> and I went, I'll, I'll pay you to do this. Or you it was, and I got out there, and it was about six weeks of work. And as I just was talking about Carl the other day, it was one of the greatest experiences of my life. Right. Um, and working with Carl, and here's the best part, among many best parts, the first day of shooting, we were shooting at a place called Laird Studios in L.A., and I walked in, and there was three directors chairs there one for me one for steve and one for carl wow and i sat in my chair and got a cup of coffee and carl came and sat down next to me and we talked for a minute and he said i gotta use the bathroom i'll be right back and i said good luck on your wending which is a line from the 2000 year old man and he turned around and he said to me you know that album? And I said, I know every line from that album. He said, okay. He went to the bathroom and he came back and he sat down and he said, 
okay, what do you want to do? Which part do you want to do? I said, what do you mean? He said, let's do some 2,000-year-old man. I'll be Carl Reiner and you be Mel Brooks, he said. And every day, right? every day, he would do that album with me. He would ask me the questions like he did, Mel, and I would respond. Do you, I mean, think about what that would mean to somebody who idolized right. this guy. And that's, that's who he was. I mean, it was just an, uh, and being around Steve every day. And it was incredible. It's just an incredible experience. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Now having, um, you know, a twin brother who Mitchell, who was also in the business. Um, yes. I remember turning on ESPN. He always hosted billiard shows and, uh, yeah. So part of not necessarily the news, also a great show on HBO. Yeah. Um, how many roles did you like compete with, with him? Was there ever a time when, oh, they're looking for a Matthew Lawrence one or a Mitchell Lawrence one, and you went to uh, audition or vice versa? It's it's a really interesting question. Um, I started, I went right to acting school after we graduated from college. Mitchell worked in a bank and a couple other things and then became, over a period of five years, uh, an associate director of the original Saturday Night Live, okay. uh, and and produced all the video shows based on right. you know the best ofs for Saturday Night yeah. Live, uh, and then he went out to L.A. after they the old cast left and they all left. He went out to L.A. and he called me one day and said, "I'm going to come in. I need to talk to you about something," and. I said, okay. And he flew to New York because it was pretty important. Right. And he said, I want to be an actor. And as soon as he said it, I knew we were in trouble because right. you're competing for jobs with somebody that looks exactly like you. Right. And I was better looking, but you know what I mean. Yeah, of course. You know, yeah. yeah, you know what I mean. Anyway, um, and it was very rough for us for a long time, years. Yeah. Uh, we actually that I know of because our agents and managers knew about this. Um, it's funny. You mentioned not necessarily the news. That was one show where I showed up to audition and I can't remember, but he either was walking out of the audition or going in yeah. before me. It didn't happen hardly at all because okay. I think they separated whatever. Right. He ended up getting that job and was brilliant in yeah. it for five or six years. Um, but it was very hard. You know, when he was doing that, people would come up to me and say, I love you. I'm not necessarily the, yeah. and by the 10th time you go, you're yelling at people. That's not right. me. Yeah. That's, and then when I got to it, the same thing would happen him. to him. And then one day, um, through it's too long a story to go into, but, um, he called me and he said, we got to talk. And he came over to my house and we stood there for a very long time, crying, talking, and we decided that it was ridiculous. We should be working together. Yeah. And from that point on, we did work together. We did quite a few things together. Right. And it was, you know, the greatest. And yeah. ever since then, really, he's been the closest person in the world to me. So. Right. That's great. That's my twin yeah. story. Right. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So. Why did you end up leaving Hollywood and of all places end up working for Duke basketball with coach K? Well, um, I just hated living there. Right. I got to the point in 1999 that I had been there for 18 years. And for most of that time it was okay. But the last year or two, I just got to the point where I hated it. I hated everything being about the business. I hated the, the day I decided to leave, I had done not only duet and Saturday Night Live, I had guest starred on every great sitcom that right. there was. And my agent called me one day and said, just so you know what's going on out here, uh, I, I submitted you for a sitcom pilot for NBC and the casting director, who was like 24 or something, said to her, you know, I really like him. I've seen him on 90210. I've seen, but can he do comedy? 
And when she said that to me, I said, I'm done. I mean, what I've spent my whole career doing this. And now there are people, everything was getting younger. And I had, (coughs) excuse me. I had, uh, in the early nineties, I went to play in the celebrity golf tournament at Duke and had gotten very friendly with coach K and his family and all through the nineties. And I was having dinner with him. Uh, I went back to play in another tournament. And when he asked me how I was doing, I said, I'm miserable. I want to leave, but I don't really know where I would go. And he basically, to make a long story short, said, why don't you come work with me? Hmm. And I said, what are you talking about? He said, if you're going to leave, come here and I'll tell you what I want to do. And I did that, and he said, "I want you to do radio for us. I want you to sit behind me, on the sit behind the bench, and get in our huddles with us. And you could do the coaches' TV show, and you could do." And uh, I was blown away. And for ten years, I sat right behind him at the bench, and ten of the best years of my life. How did you like? be like impartial you know how to, to kind of like separate the fan and be the professional like i didn't broadcaster. i didn't have to okay i was working for the duke radio network right okay so uh enough said uh, right there believe yeah. me, i was not impartial right believe me. <laughs> yeah <laughs> they didn't want yeah. that right <laughs> right yeah yeah so and how did the like um daily talk show come about the one where i'm that i'm doing, now. doing right now for espn yeah. well my wife uh, who I met at, I used to come to Lexington for 30 years okay. to play in this charity golf tournament. And I met my, w- who a woman that would become my wife here uh, before. And we ended up after a number of years getting back in touch. And she, um, we started dating. She was living here. I was living at Duke at the time. And uh, we got married and we had two little kids and she was from here. Her parents were here. Her best friends were here. And so I was playing in a golf tournament here with the owner of my station. And he offered me the job basically of being with the SPN radio. And uh, I said, okay. And so moved back here. So she really, she could be close to her family and her friends and, and all that. That's, and great. that's how that happened. Yeah. And that's 13 years ago now. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. That's great. So, yeah. Yeah. So what's your favorite sports movie? Oh, Lord. That's a really good question. Uh, I love The Natural. I love Hoosiers, yeah. which was directed. Hoosiers and Rudy were directed by a very good friend of mine. Um. Yeah, I would say those two, right? Hoosiers okay. and the natural, right? Great choices, yeah. Or Raging Bull, if you consider boxing a sport, right? Raging yeah. Bull's the greatest. If that's a sport, is yeah. the greatest sports movie right. of all time to me. Yeah, no, that, that's a good one. And yeah. I know, like, you're obviously a big golfer. Not that many golf movies, but what would you consider your favorite golf movie? Yeah, it's not really many. <laughs> Uh, there really are. I mean, what are there? Tin Cup. Tin Cup, um, yeah. You know, Happy Gilmore. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. There, was there one aren't that with, many. Yeah. Remember there was one with Randy Quaid years ago. I forgot it was Dead Shot Perfect or something like that. Oh, Dead Dead Solid Perfect. Yeah, something like yeah. 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 That was a great book, okay. by the way. The movie wasn't that great, but the right. book was great. Yeah. Okay. Dan Jenkins. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So, Matt, this was fantastic. Um, if people want to hear you on the radio, I'm sure there's like an app that they can listen to, right? You don't have to go to There is. The app, if you go to the App Store uh, or Google Play, it's ESPN Radio Lex, L-E-X, or they can go to WLXG.com. Uh, I'm on from 10 a.m. to noon every day, Eastern Time. They can go to WLXG.com and just hit listen live. Awesome. This was great, Matthew. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure, Noel. It's great to talk to you. 
And please uh, tell Jody I said hi. And a special thanks to Matthew for joining you today. Go check him out on Twitter at RealLauro5. And if you have a guest suggestion, you can hit me up on Twitter at Personal19. Or like the page where really you can on Facebook. Go to iTunes, check out all the past episodes we've had. While you're there, please rate and review the show. Don't have iTunes? Not a problem. Shows on SoundCloud, Spotify, Podbean, Amazon Music. Basically, wherever you can find a podcast. New episode comes out every week. Stay safe, everybody. We'll see you then. <laughs>